Uh, we're really excited to be here this afternoon um, to talk with you all about the Progressive Era, which is a really exciting period to look at with the Library of Congress um, website because there are so many primary sources available that look at this period in American history. So over the course of the next hour, we are going to examine some sample primary sources looking at different topics from the Progressive Era. Uh, we are going to explore a lesson I did looking at education reform um, during the time period specifically at the Rosenwald schools that were built in the South. Uh, and we're also going to look at some other resources available um, from the Library of Congress uh, website and from the Teaching with Primary Sources Across Tennessee website that can be used to teach this period in the classroom. But before we get started, um, it's really important to kind of go over just a little bit about the progressive era. You know, a lot of times students have a difficult time um, grasping the, this era um, because there was so much that took place during the time period. Um, oftentimes historians um, disagree on exactly what years um, make up the progressive era, but for the purpose um, of our webcast and for the materials that we've developed, we have defined this time period as 1890 to 1920. But of course, to understand what was going on in 1890 as the progressive era gets started, um, it's important to understand where the country, um, what the country had just experienced and what was going on in the nation. Um, and really leading up to this point, um, America's in a state of transition. Um, transition being um, the growth of the Industrial Revolution and the many changes that that brought to the country um, prior to 1890. Um, so that you see um, the country experiencing profound industrial growth. Um, you're seeing the country move from being an agrarian um, primary economy to having people who are now wage earners working in industrial centers. Um, having them be not self-employed, but instead um, wage earners working for corporations, um, and uh, taking away autonomy from workers in this process. You also have the growth of large corporations, which are controlling industries such as the railroads, um, telegraph and telephone, um, iron and steel, oil, um, just to name a few. Um, and the growth of those, of course, will drastically shape the country and kind of set us on the path that we will need the progressive era. You also have, um, because of all these changes, a growth in technology. Um, the technology, of course, that's making all of this um, industrial growth possible, uh, but it's also having an impact on the individual lives of Americans. Um, so you're seeing also the beginnings of mass production. Of course, we think about Henry Ford and the first um, um, lines in order to build the automobile. Uh, you also have, during the time period with this growth, um, the government taking a policy um, of limited regulations, and more kind of which tend to be more kind of pro-corporation. Um, outside of our borders, um, of course, by 1896, we have the Spanish-American War, which sees the U.S. at the end of that war um, having influence in the Philippines um, and also gaining Puerto Rico and Guam as U.S. territories. Um, and this is really the beginning of the growth of the U.S. as a national and as a world power, uh, which will be important kind of as we get thinking about World War I. At this point, um, with all of this growth and all of this change, most Americans see the country as out of order. Um, they see the societal problems that are taking place um, in their communities, especially in urban areas. Um, problems such as poor education, poverty, corrupt leadership, um, alcoholism, delinquent children. 
um, just to name a few. And many of them thought that in order to address these problems, um, there needed to be a more active government, a government that could help set the tone to change um, what was going on to help address the issues in the economy and the environment. Um, but many saw the government as unresponsive um, and saw actually that they were part of the problem because of corruption due to political parties who were under the control of corporations and of political bosses. So when we think about the progressive era, um, we need to keep all this in mind. This is kind of where our nation is at at this point. And think of the era as an umbrella label um, for a period of economic, social, political, and moral reforms that need to take place because of all the issues that had arisen in our nation. So progressives stepped up to kind of address these issues, um, and they really rejected social Darwinism. Um, and so much of the reforms you'll see um, are a rejection of that kind of mode of thinking. And they thought that individuals needed to pull together um, in order to help those less fortunate. So, um, and they also thought um, that, because up, up until this point, the church had really been seen as the leader in making change, that um, the, they thought the churches had become unresponsive to the problems going on in the society, and so that they needed to step up in their place. Now, um, of course, they needed to get support from middle-class Americans, from more people in the nation, um, and the way they did this was through uh, media, through journalists um, who went out and did what we now call investigative reporting, but of course at that point in time was called muckraking or yellow journalism. Um, but they did this in order to educate people about what was going on in the nation um, and to show them the need for reforms. Um, one great example of this, of course, is Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, which looks at the meatpacking industry and the problems that were going on there. Um, other reforms during the time period that, um, that were addressed or were um, efforts were made to reform uh, were child labor laws, um, issues of workplace safety, uh, limiting the number of hours in a workday for people, um, busting and regulating trust and monopolies, um, expanding the right to vote to women, um, direct election of senators, and limitations on new immigrants, and then of course we have prohibition, um, regulations in water and environmental controls, uh, food safety, um, the conservation movement really gets started during this time period. And then of course in urban areas with issue, um, addressing the issues of poverty, we have the growth of settlement homes. Um, during the time period we also have um, politicians such as Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson who were seen as progressive presidents who really kind of embraced these ideas of reform um, and, and ran on progressive platforms. Um, many local governments decided to address their corruption issues by turning away from mayoral um, style governments and um, instead adopting those of city managers in order to limit the influence of political bosses. Um, and then, of course, we have the beginnings of World War I, which really put an end to, um, to the progressive era in many ways um, as the country kind of shifts its focus instead to addressing the war effort that was needed there. Now, while a lot of changes took place during the progressive era and a lot of issues were addressed, um, not all issues were addressed. Issues such as racial discrimination um, and issues beyond, and women's rights beyond suffrage um, were not addressed during the time period. But there were important foundations that were laid that would later, uh, would let later generations address these issues more adequately. So that's just kind of a brief summary of the progressive era to kind of help us as we look at some of the primary sources um, over the course of the next um, 45, 50 minutes. Um, we're going to look at um, different sources um, 
grouped around topics. And we're going to start with looking at some child labor images. Um, there are a lot of uh, primary sources available um, to looking at, looking at um, child labor, including um, a great collection of photographs um, in the Prince and Photographs collection. So we're going to start with looking at one example. This is an image um, it's titled 4 p.m. Sierra Family, 143 Thompson Street, near Tenement, New York. In this dirty attic home with a dog and a cat adding to the other filth that accumulates, these three make artificial leaves. The little five-year-old helps some. She was sighing, tired. Her sister, about 10 years old, works until 9 p.m., some nights, although she is nearsighted. At home, she keeps her glasses on the shelf because mother says, I look funny with them on. Now I got to go out and shop. Now that's a pretty descriptive title for this image. And of course here we can see the clothes being hung um, there at the top of the image. We see the, the mother and her two daughters working. We see this really kind of clamped, cluttered environment. Um, and so this is a great one image to start with, with having your students think about child labor. Where do students labor? Of course this one is happening in their home. So they were not only using this as a workplace, but also as their living arrangements. Now, this image was taken in January of 1912. You might ask your students what else they see in this image. Um, how does it make them feel? What things they would like to know about this image? And then, of course, you want them to understand that child labor um, was something that took place not just in New York and tenement homes, but in other parts of the country. Um, and our next image here that we see, um, this is a panel that is part of a larger exhibition that was put together by the National Child Labor Committee um, to help educate people about what was going on, um, about where child labor was happening, um, about how this issue needed to be addressed. Um, but in this um, this image, we see, of course, um, it's asking for people to blacklist delinquencies, to, to not, uh, of course, support those. Um, so you see it breaks down to children, where states where children under 14 are employed in mills and factories, uh, where children under 16 can work at night, uh, where children under 16 are working more than eight hours. And then the very bottom there, where children under age 16 can work in mines and quarries. So from this um, source, we can tell, of course, several different things. We can think about what industries children are working in, what states are these happening in, um, what issues of the people that are, um, that are advocating against child labor, what they're interested in. Of course, we can see part of that is the hours that they're working, when they're working. Um, and, and then, of course, when we think about the industries, we would want to think about the safety issues within those. Um, what were the working conditions like? Um, I think it's interesting to note here when you're looking at this um, that the South is an area of the country where child labor, of course, um, was taking place. Um, and, of course, so that's, that's an area that we could talk about with our students, um, how child labor impacted um, this part of the country. Um, and this exhibit was actually created around the year 1914, so you could begin to map um, when this advocacy was going on and begin to map the progression of the fight to adopt child labor. So if we had started with that first image thinking about um, 
you know, just what did child labor look like and then look at that map and think about how it impacted our, our, this region, then you can actually begin to look at some sources that are from our state. Um, there are quite a few primary sources um, that are um, representative of child labor in Tennessee. And so our next couple are actually going to be images from Tennessee that were taken, um, all in December of 1910 when a Lewis Hine, um, who was a photographer who worked for the National Child Labor Committee, was traveling um, in this area, taking images, looking to document um, the working conditions um, of children. So this next image we have here, um, this is titled Street Bretzu, who is a tube boy in the mule room of Richmond's spinning mill, East Lake. Mule spinning is apparently more dangerous than ring spinning. See bandage finger. Uh, photo during work hours, and this was taken in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So with this image, again, we get that really descriptive title, and that's one reason I really like these child labor images, um, because you can have your students not only um, look at the image and pick out the details that are there and think about the working conditions um, and what was going on there, but you can also have them think about what are these titles telling us? What is the purpose of these titles? Um, and of course, um, we see here they note the bandaged finger, which you can see in the image. And so they're wanting to draw attention to the fact that this um, young boy had been injured possibly on the job. So obviously there's some issues there with workplace safety. Um, and also noting, of course, that it's dangerous. Um, we also see him there with an adult standing behind him. So, you know, you might want your students to think about what is the relationship, um, you know, what kind of work does the adult do versus what kind of work is the child doing? Uh, and then, of course, one thing your students are going to notice is that, um, you know, depending on what age range you're teaching, is the student is going to be about their age. Um, and so is this a job that they could do? Um, would they want to be um, out working in a meal um, the way this young man is? Our next image is titled Harley Bruce, a young coupling boy at Tipple of Indian Mountain Line of Proctor Coal Company near Jellicoe, Tennessee. He appears to be 12 or 14 years old and says he has been working there about a year. It is hard work and dangerous. Not many young boys employed in or about the mines of this region. So here we have another industry that's being represented, the mining industry. Um, and again, we notice in the title that it talks about this young boy, how it's not um, common here for young boys to be um, working, but it is hard work and it is dangerous, um, noting around about his age. Um, and again, we see a young boy working with an adult there um, in what looks to be pretty strenuous work. Um, your students might note that they seem to be you know, working hard to kind of push that wagon. Um, you might also ask them as they're looking at these images, do these images seem candid? Are they staged images? Um, were they taken with the knowledge of the people in the images? Of course, this one looks to be a little more candid maybe than the one we just looked at where the two subjects were looking directly at the camera. Um, so this one, um, you might have them look and compare the two. Um, were these people knowledgeable about why these images were being taken place or why these images were being taken?